Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Happy Lord's Day. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We got some fresh air coming in, which is kind of nice. It's almost like indoor-outdoor church today, so that's kind of special. If this is your first time here, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead minister here, and most weeks I get the privilege of talking about Jesus. Today is no different. Uh, if you haven't been here, we've been in a series all year called Life is a Garden, where we've been tracking kind of the uh, biblical motif, the design patterns in Scripture of humans in garden places interacting with God, facing tests, often at either a high place, like a mountain, or at a tree, sometimes both. And, uh, and what that means to us kind of in our daily lives. Now, the, the whole idea is we've been, we traced for a long time um, the, the story of Adam and Eve, first humanity placed in a garden with God. And uh, we looked at the structure of that, which then led us to Noah. And then we talked about Abraham. And then last week, hopefully some of that paid off when we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's surrounded by trees facing a test of, am I going to surrender my will to the will of the Father, or am I going to do what is best in my eyes? And so he passes that test, which leads him up to another hill where he hangs on a tree to make atonement for all of the evil in the world that we have brought upon it. And so today we're going to kind of step back into the biblical story and look at the story of Moses. Now, if you're interested and you want to go back, you can go to our website, newgarden.church slash 2022, and that will give you access to all of the slides, all of the lessons. Um, if you're interested in going back today, we usually post it like on Mondays, so you can go back and listen. So just a reminder, Adam and Eve, they uh, represent humanity as potential eternal partners, co-rulers and reigners with God here on earth, uh, ruling the world, but they forfeit their role when they seize wisdom on their own terms. And so we, we see the land is cursed. We see that um, going through the process of conceiving a child is going to be difficult. The soil is going to be difficult to work with from then on. And so the world in which they inhabit is no longer this um, easy relational connection with each other, with God, and with the earth. And so God gives them all of these consequences of their actions, but in that he promises that there will be one seed of the woman who will come and ultimately crush the head of the serpent. But in that crushing, he himself will be crushed. He himself will be, will be stricken. And so from that point on, we are reading and waiting and anticipating to see who is the seed of the woman that is going to come. And so the story progresses a little bit, and we get introduced uh, to Noah, this, this guy whose name means rest, whose father says, hey, he's going to bring comfort to all that we are enduring. And so God calls out Noah from among the people. And Noah 
he turns this tree of testing of, am I going to listen to what God wants me to do into this vehicle of salvation that floats on the chaos waters of divine justice and then lands on top of this new mountain Eden garden where he plants a vineyard, but then he faces another test and some weird things happen in a tent and ultimately he is not this chosen one. So the story continues, it progresses a little bit from uh, Genesis 1 through 11, this kind of cosmic worldview, and then Genesis 12 hones in on one family and one guy in particular, Abraham, who God calls and says, hey, I want to show you this this land, this promised land. I'm going to give you and your descendants, you're going to be the father of nations. The whole world is going to be blessed through you. And Abraham, he passes some tests, he fails other tests, but ultimately, We looked at uh, Genesis 22, where God asks him to give up his own son. And so he he, he does, he goes through this process of binding Isaac and and is willing to listen to God despite what it looks like. And so we said that Abraham, it gives us an example of someone who passes the test of the trees by faithfully sacrificing his will and desire for the will of God. And so again, we kind of see this pattern starting to develop. You've got Adam and Eve in this mountain garden, facing a test which involves these two trees, one of wisdom, using it for their own sake, or reaching out and continuing to, to, to get eternal life from God and his wisdom. You've got Noah, who, who lands on this Mount Ararat, this mountain of curse, but builds an altar out of this vehicle of salvation. You've got Abraham, who climbs Mount Moriah and binds his son Isaac onto an altar. And God ultimately sees that, listen, he's turned his will over. Now, what continues is out of Abraham, we don't have time to go into all of the stories, but Abraham's family becomes great, right? He has a son um, who has two sons, um, who have 12 sons, and we've got the story of Joseph going down to Egypt. His brothers sell him. He goes down to Egypt. They eventually bring the whole family down, and they begin to grow. So in Exodus chapter 1, hundreds of years uh, have passed, maybe not hundreds of years, but generations have passed, and we read... Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel, of Jacob, who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his, his household. So all the 12 sons, you got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the people who descended from Jacob were 70 people. Joseph, he's already in Egypt. So remember, you got the 12 tribes, the 12 sons, a total of 70 people. Those numbers are going to come up later in the story. Joseph died. All his brothers and that generation died. Time passes. But the sons of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly. They multiplied. They became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So this is Genesis 1 language, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so things are going well. We're thinking, yeah, this is, this is great. But a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, hey, listen, these immigrants... The sons of Israel, they're, they're growing. There are too many of them. They might overwhelm us. They might become too strong. So come, let us deal shrewdly or wisely with them. Otherwise, they'll multiply, and if we go to war, they're going to join our enemies because they hate us, and they'll fight against us, and they'll leave the land. And so we get introduced to a, a new kind of wise uh, character who's dealing shrewdly with God's chosen people. And, and so the story continues. Uh, Pharaoh enacts three kind of standards as a way to oppress the people with harsh labor. He tells the midwives, just kill the children. And ultimately, he makes the edict for the Egyptian people 
if you see a Hebrew who has a baby boy, to take that boy and throw them into the Nile and let them drown. Um, and then we get introduced to a new chapter in chapter 2. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and gave birth to a son. Okay, we've got a seed of the woman. Our ears are perked up. And when she saw that he was good, she hid him for three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she got a, a papyrus ark and covered it with tar and pitch. And then she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. So we've spent time reading so far. Our ears and minds should be lighting up, right? The idea of a woman who sees something that's good in her eyes, right? And this man who takes a wife for himself. You've got all the Genesis 1 and 2 language there. And then this word that Moses, this baby Moses, although he doesn't get his name yet, he's put into what's often referred to as a basket. But in Hebrew, it's the word teva, which only occurs in two stories in the Hebrew Bible, the story of Moses and the story of Noah, that God calls Noah to build a, a teva gopher, a gopher, a, an ark made out of gopher wood. And here he's put into a, a teva gomeh, a an ark of papyrus or, or reeds. And so our minds are already setting us up. The, re, the, the writer is setting us up. This is a new Adam. This is a new Noah figure. This is a new savior figure that, that we should be expecting things to happen. And so he floats down this river, which should have killed him, but he's delivered in this new ark uh, of salvation, and he's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up. He realizes he's, he's a Hebrew. He goes out one day, sees a Hebrew one of his brothers being beaten, and he ends up killing the Egyptian, right? And he goes through this whole thing. Pharaoh wants to kill him. He goes out into the wilderness. He meets this, this girl. He marries her, and he becomes a shepherd for 40 years. That's, that's like a chapter in a nutshell. Now, when it came uh, about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel groaned because of the bondage, they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage ascended to God so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant, just like God remembered Noah on the ark and all the animals. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the sons of Israel, and he knew them. God took notice of them. And so you wonder, okay, God, he sees them in bondage. What's going to happen? Flip the chapter to chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. So imagine the movie scene. You've got this, like, You've got a camera in Egypt. The Pharaoh has died. You zoom out. All the people are crying out to God because of their bondage. And it just cuts over here to the desert in the wilderness. And you've got Moses, now kind of a middle-aged man, tending the flocks in the wilderness. You know, he's no longer in the palace. He's no longer in the kingdom of Egypt. He is in the wilderness. But he's chosen. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burning up. And so we've got a, a character, a chosen one, who is on a mountain again, a high place. And so we're starting to wonder, what should we expect? We should expect some sort of test 
some sort of interaction with God, some, something is going to happen. And what happens is he sees this bush. In the Hebrew, it's the word seneh. It's the only time the word occurs. Um, we might expect it to be a tree, right? But it's a different word for a tree. Um, but it's the same letters that get translated later as Sinai. So Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. But in this first account, this first occurrence of him on the mountain, he sees this seneh, which is on fire. And so, again, we should be thinking like tree of life, this interaction with God on a high place. What is going to happen? Because this, this angel of Yahweh is in the bush. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. So when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So we've got the Noah thread going. We've got that kind of Adam and Eve thread going. And then the last time in the story where God called somebody's name twice and he answered, here I am, was in Genesis 22 when Abraham is up on Mount Moriah. He's about to sacrifice his son and Yahweh calls out to him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. And so we've got the Abraham thread coming in. This Moses is being set up as this new deliverer. He's a, he's a Noah figure. He's a seed of a woman. He's an Abraham figure. And what does uh, God say? Don't come near here. Take your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. It's like you have entered the presence of Yahweh. You're, you're in the holy of holies. And the stuff, you're a shepherd, you're stepping in poop and pee and dirt and all this death stuff that doesn't belong in the presence of God. So you leave that at the door and you come before me because my presence is good, but it's dangerous. It's like you can't just walk nonchalantly, right, in close to the sun. You've got to have some protection. The sun is good, but it can be dangerous if you're not prepared for its presence. And he said, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Um, and then God tells him, I've heard the groaning, the crying of our people, and I'm going to send you. Now come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, one of his five excuses, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, assuredly, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that this is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to come back to this mountain and you're going to worship me on this mountain. Now, this is a weird sign. Usually signs are more immediate, you know, like throw the staff on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. Pick it up, put your hand in. You can see it, you know, like immediate signs. But God says this is, it's almost a promise. You're going to go get my people and you're going to bring them back here and you're going to worship me at this mountain. And so for the next few chapters, Moses, he goes back he confronts Pharaoh. Pharaoh says no. He confronts Pharaoh. Pharaoh says no. God starts sending the plagues. Pharaoh continues to have a hard heart, but eventually God delivers his people out of Egypt. They go, they go through the Sea of Reeds. You know, they've got the, they think they're going to die because they've got this water in front of them, and God sends a wind to separate the waters to dry ground appears, and they're able to go across the dry ground to safety. 
and the, the armies of Pharaoh are destroyed. And so they get to the other side, they sing this great song, and then they start their journey, okay? So you've just been, you've just seen the plagues in Egypt, right? All the power that God has. You've seen the cloud by day, the fire by night. You've been, you've walked through the waters on each side on dry ground. You've been delivered, okay? Then, chapter 15, Moses led Israel from the Sea of Reeds, the Reed Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. So if you remember, Abraham and Isaac, they went three days to Mount Moriah. So on the third day, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah because they were Marah, bitter. For that reason, it was named Marah. So the people, they grumble at Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, what we're going to learn down here at the very end is this is a test. God is testing his people. He's saying, guys, you've seen how powerful I am. You've seen I I turned the, the river Nile into blood. You've seen me divide the waters and make dry ground that you could walk through. That was three days ago. And now they come to this pool of water in the middle of nowhere, and they can't drink it. And so the question is, is how are they going to react? And they react with, by grumbling. They complain to Moses. Why, why, did you, why did you bring us out here? There's nothing to drink. And so Moses is going to face his own test. He's going to decide, like, am I going to be a part of the people and complain, or am I going to turn to the one who I know has the power to deal with my situation? And that's exactly what Moses does. Moses, he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree. And he threw the tree into the waters, and the waters became sweet, and they were able to drink them. And there, God made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. And then God says, guys, if you will shema, shema, if you will listen, listen, if you will listen and obey to the voice of Yahweh your God and do what is right in his sight and listen to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, Yahweh, I'm your healer. So God, he gives them this, this chance to put their faith into action, to say, okay, God, we've, we've come to this water and we know you're powerful. Like, we've seen what you've done in the past, but instead of trusting, instead of saying, God, what are you going to do now? Like, let's see it. You know, like, expectation. It's a a hardening of a heart and a grumbling of, God, I can't believe you've taken me here. You know, like, I'm going to die. But Moses is this righteous intercessor for the people who is able to, because of his decisions and, and his will, intercede for the people and bring what was waters of death into waters of life. And then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. So 12 and 70. Remember, there were 12 tribes, there were 70 people. It's a picture of like this completion. This, there's, there's enough for everybody. That, that, that God, through Moses, delivers them through these bitter waters and into a place that's almost like a return to the garden. And in these five verses, you've got a summary of 
every story that has happened so far in the scriptures, that humans, they face a life and death decision. They're tested at a tree. They fail the test, but one, Moses in this case, intercedes on their behalf and leads them into a new garden. Like five verses paint the picture of all of scripture up to this point, that we need a righteous intercessor whose faith and trust in God will, in a way, overcome my doubt so that I can experience life where there is death. So the people, they, they experience this. They go on. God ends up giving them some commands. He ends up giving them uh, an opportunity to join a relationship uh, with him in this new covenant. Um, and then Exodus 19, in the third month, so they, they had, they've been three days out of Egypt. They have this thing at, at Marah. Um, they go a little bit farther. God provides manna. God provides water. God provides meat. God provides over and over and over again onto their journey until they reach Mount Horeb. So in the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. So remember God's word to Moses. Listen, here's the sign. You're going to lead the people out of Egypt, and you're going to come to this mountain, and you're all going to worship me. It's like this preview. Moses, he goes through the wilderness. He goes through the, the waters of the Nile. He comes out. He's led through the wilderness into the mountain of God. The people follow the same thing. They're in exile. They go through the waters, through the wilderness, and now they come to the mountain themselves. And Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, this is what you're going to say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. You remember You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. I carried you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. Remember what happened in the past. There's your picture of what happened in the past. Now, in the present, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen, you've seen what I've done. Now, in the present, listen. Listen and obey to my voice. And what's going to happen in the future? You're going to be my chosen people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. It's not just Moses who's supposed to be this, this mediator, this righteous one, this priest figure, but all of you can come into my presence and, and, and send that out to people in the world. That's the call on their lives. And these are the words that you're going to speak to the sons of Israel. And so Yahweh, he gives them this invitation that he tells Moses, prepare the people um, because I'm going, my presence is going to come down onto the mountain. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud over the mountain and a loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp, they trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, later on, it's going to make it uh, clear that, that Yahweh wants the people to come up on the mountain. But it's going to say they don't. They stand at the foot of the mountain, and they say, Moses, you go. We, we, we're scared of God. You go for us. You talk to him. You tell us what he wants. But Yahweh's invitation is for all the people to come up on the mountain and be with God. And they fail the test. They tremble here at the foot of the mountain. And at that point, God changes his mind, and he says, fine, tell him to stay down there. 
Only you and Aaron and some of the priests, you guys can come up. But all the people, they were watching. They're hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet, which the sound of the trumpet was the, the, like the invitation. When you hear the trumpet, come up on the mountain. But instead, um, the mountain smoking, when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. And then they said, hey, speak to us yourself, Moses. We'll listen to you, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. This is a test in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you will not sin. So the people, they stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So again, you've got this test. People, who are you going to trust? You've seen what I've done for you in the past. You've seen how powerful I am, how much I love you. I've delivered you despite you doing nothing. Now come be in a relationship with me and the people. They see the fire and they're scared. They've seen Moses. He ascends and comes down the mountain seven times over the course of this, of this event. Seven times. And sometimes when he comes down, it says his face is like glowing and he has to put this thing over his face because he's freaking people out because the presence of God changes him. It transforms him in some way. And they say, we're not ready for that kind of God. We want a God that we can control, one that we can understand, one that we can handle. And that's exactly what happens. Moses says, fine, I'll go up on the mountain. Moses goes on the mountain. He enters the cloud. He enters the fire. A week goes by. Two weeks goes by, three weeks, four, 40 days go by. And finally, the people, they're like, I think he's toast. Like, he's been up there for too long. And so the people, when they saw that Moses delayed from coming down from the mountain, they assembled around Aaron, and they, they said to him, Moses' brother, hey, make us a God who will go before us. For Moses, I don't, we don't know what happened to him. Yeah, he, he was able to lead us out of Egypt, but then he went up into the smoke and the fire. He's probably toast. And so you've got Moses interacting with God, getting the, the, the words of life in order to give to the people down below. And down below, the people are standing at the foot of a holy mountain. And instead of worshiping what needs to be worshiped, they turn and they make an idol of their own. And they say, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is a God that we can control, that we can handle, one that, that works on our own schedule, works in our own ways. And God looks down and he says, Moses, you got to go down there, see what the people are doing. They're worshiping another God. And so Moses, he goes down, he storms down, he's so mad, right? He's so mad at the people. All kinds of things happens, but then Moses decides to go back up. Um, and on the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going to go up to Yahweh. Maybe I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to Yahweh and said, Yahweh, these people, they've committed a great sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you'll forgive them, great. But if not, kill me. Like, I, I am willing to give my life for the sin of the people. If my life, the sacrifice of my life, will make atonement for the people, then so be it. And we're like, yes! Like, this is the first time this character has, this character, this chosen one, has been willing to give up their own life 
for the sins of the people. And it's a hint of what's to come, a suffering servant, one who is willing to die in place of the people. And so we add another piece, another puzzle piece to the picture. We've got the the Noah who's bringing comfort. We've got the the Abraham who's willing to sacrifice his will and, and, and what looks bad in his eyes for what is good in God's eyes. We've got Moses who is a mediator, but also one who is willing to give his own life for the people. Now, last week, we saw the, the whole puzzle put together and the face of Jesus come out. That Jesus is this ultimate reflection of all of these characters that we've been waiting for, the seed of the woman who will live out this relationship with God in such a way that it will lead to him willing to give up his life for that of the people. And he becomes that sacrifice on the altar, on the tree, so that the people can experience life. So um, in the moment, uh, as as Moses is mediating with the people, um, he makes this new covenant with the people. And this is how the covenant uh, happens. So Moses came and reported to the people all the words of Yahweh, all the ordinances, all the people answered with one voice, hey, everything Yahweh has spoken, we're going to do. Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. He got up early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain with the 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel. They offered burnt offerings. They sacrificed bulls as peace offerings to Yahweh. So they're making this, this covenant with God. And Moses, he took half the blood and he put it in, in basins. The other half, he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took, he took these bowls of blood with him, and he took the, blood, the book of the covenant, all the laws, and he read it to the people. They listened, and they said, listen, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses, he took the blood in the basins, and he sprinkles it on the people. Imagine just, just throw, getting blood thrown on you, right? You're covered by the blood, which Yahweh had made with you in accordance with these words. This is the blood of the covenant. Now, as we've seen, the people, they fail miserably over and over and over. And even the best ones, like Moses, like at times he is faithful. And then other times he does things that don't show that his trust is in God. But he does have his his shining moments. But each character that we've looked at so far has put a, a, a piece of the puzzle into the picture, but they themselves have not been the fulfillment. And that's why last week and the week before, when we look at Jesus, one born of the woman, one who goes through the waters, comes out the other side, one who is a suffering servant, he's at peace with the the animals in Mark chapter 1 as he's facing the temptation, he passes that test. He goes around bringing the kingdom of God into reality by healing diseases, by teaching how you're supposed to love and serve one another. And ultimately, he faces a test in the garden Am I going to do what's best and save my own life, or am I going to give my life for that of other people? Which leads him to a cross where his blood is shed, his body is broken. And and earlier at a meal, he speaks to his disciples, and he says, listen, this meal that, that we use to celebrate what God has done in the past to remind us today that I need to listen and obey to God's voice so that I can be a servant, a priest, a mediator of God's kingdom in this world, this now represents my body. The bread is my body broken for you. The blood, the wine is my blood shed for you. 
every time you take this, remember, remember, let the fear of Yahweh be put in you so that you will not sin. So that when you're standing between the tree of what looks good in my own eyes and what Yahweh has said is good, let us turn away from that and always follow the eternal life that Yahweh offers us today. Now, if you're new here, we've got three tables. We've got two in the front. We've got one in the back, which is gluten-free. And we just spend some time at the tables remembering what Jesus has done for us, is doing with us, and promises to do with us in the future. So let me pray for us, and we'll stand, and we'll spend some time at the tables. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these real people who face real struggles and are not perfect, because that's me, and that's everybody sitting here. God, sometimes we don't even want to do what is right, but I pray that we want to want to do what is right, that we would spend enough time with you that we would be transformed, conformed into your image, so that when other people see us, they see a reflection of you. We thank you for Jesus, who is this righteous mediator that we have been waiting for since page one of Scripture, one who crushes the head of the serpent and offers a new way of living that leads to eternal life, both now and forever. So God, as we go to the table today, whatever is weighing us down, whatever tree that we are facing where we have to decide what to listen to, let us listen to your voice, knowing that you love us and you care for us. You gave your life for us through your son. And it's through his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and let's go to the tables. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.